What's going on? It's Joey Thurman, and welcome to Season 3 of the Fad or Future Podcast. Yeah, I made it three seasons. What's different about this season? Well, yes, I'm still bringing you the world's top experts in fitness, nutrition, mental health, and more. But I'm also talking about my own personal struggles. I get deeper this season because we can all use a little bit of relatability. So I hope you stick with me, you enjoy this season, and thank you for being here. And as always, you get to decide, is it a fad or is it a future? Because after all, we don't want to be fatties, F-A-D-D-Y. Hashtag don't be a fatty. Everybody poops, right? You may even be on the toilet right now listening to this podcast. Why am I saying this? Well, today's episode, I have Dr. Mary Party. We talk everything poop, size, smell, farting, GI health. Dr. Mary is a naturopathic medical doctor, certified functional medicine doctor who specializes in integrative gastroenterology and hormone balancing in L.A. She's the founder of Modern Med, a telemedicine company that has virtual wellness and provides medical and health services to clients from the comfort of their own homes. If you can't work with her via Modern Med, she created a gut health course that I went through myself and it's actually really good. That dives into the most common gut related complaints and natural solutions to start healing. Dr. Mary is also a board member for our academy, an organization whose mission is to provide opportunity to homeless and previously incarcerated individuals with a holistic 360 approach. I tell you what, this episode doesn't stink. <laughs> I had to. Here's my conversation with Dr. Mary Party, and as always, please share this podcast, like it, review it. Go on YouTube, I put clips on there. Follow me on Instagram at Joey Thurman Fit or all other platforms. Here's my conversation with Dr. Mary Party. You've got a little one to love and adore, but life's not all smiles. You are in for so much more. When something smells funny and you're feeling really moody, just hand him to daddy. Make him clean the poopy. You, Dr. Mary Party, you, you like that poem I had for you there? I, I don't know the author of it, but I literally Googled before this poop poems. I got some interesting things. Oh, I would, yeah, I want, I want the whole list of those. I, I will send you the link. Is that the first time you've ever been um, read a poem on a podcast? I feel like I was just serenaded by poop, which is um, really near and dear to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you guys haven't figured out, we're going to talk about poop today. Uh, Dr. Mary, in front of me, I, I went through your course on commune. It was actually really good. So make sure people uh, check that out. I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But you deal with poop, right? Yeah, I chose the sexiest specialty to get into. So it, I'm really It's pretty excited. hot sometimes steamy and a little smelly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what, what is your, what is your main thing? Like you, you, you work with digestive health and obviously, you know, we, I don't know how many poop puns we can go with, but, uh, that, that's your main thing, but also functional medicine. So what's a typical day for like you? Yeah. So our practice really specializes in GI. So anything from IBS, which is the most common condition that we treat, irritable bowel syndrome. We also treat people with inflammatory bowel disease, reflux, dyspepsia, indigestion, 
um, pretty much anything in the GI tract. And then we do general naturopathic functional medicine care as well, anti-aging, hormone replacement therapy, thyroid conditions, weight loss. Um, so we do do the general conditions, but we're definitely known for our specialty in gastrointestinal issues. Yeah, you got a lot. You covered the gamut there. Now, it went through your course, and I think that sometimes people, we, we talk about GI, uh, and you talk about all sorts of different things and leaky gut and all these things are thrown around, but can you just give me a quick gut health one one so people know uh, exactly what we're talking about? Yeah. So if we want to talk about, you know, gut health one one then we really want to hit on like, what does normal digestion actually look like? Um, and so when, when people come to me, I have two different subsets of people that come to me and one of them are, you know, they're so nervous that everything is wrong with them. And so any little bit of, you know, food in the stool is considered abnormal. And so we don't want to go that specific. We want to say, does your gut health interfere with your quality of life? And that's really where we separate things in terms of, do we want to treat it? Or is this just normal because you're human and we're not perfect? Humans are not perfect. Right. Um, but you know, what should normal GI health look like? You shouldn't really notice that you have a stomach necessarily. Um, so it shouldn't change you going out for dinner. It shouldn't change you hanging out with friends, work. Um, you should be able to sleep fine. And so normal digestion in my mind is having a bowel movement every single day and feeling like you fully void after that not having excessive gas. So some amount of gas is totally normal. Again, it's part of the human experience. All Um, of my family listening out there, see, I was right. (laughs) Carry carry on. um, Reflux is not normal. You know, nausea, vomiting, also not normal. And you want to have formed stools. Whenever we're talking about it, we're really talking about what does your poop look like? So that's Mm. a really common conversation that I have with all of my patients. That's not necessarily standard for doctors in general, but I want to know, you know, the size of it. I want to know how many times you're going per day. What color is it? Is there blood in the stool? That's never normal. Um, And so we really want to make sure that your gut health is not inhibiting you from living high quality life. Okay, that makes sense. Well, let's uh, let's get into the dirty then. What should your poop look like? Yes. Okay, this is a fun one. <laughs> um, let's go with size. So you want to feel like you fully voided, and this is going to change drastically based on what you're eating. Hmm. And so there's a lot of women out there that are under eating. So if you're under eating, you're also going to produce less stool. That's normal if you're under eating. If you're eating a good amount of food, especially high in fiber, so I recommend usually between six and nine cups of vegetables per day, then you want your stool to equate, you know, each day volume-wise being about the crease of your your wrist down to your elbow in terms of volume. I have a huge arm. It doesn't mean thickness here. We're just talking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Length. Got it. And that could be two different bowel movements throughout the day. It could be one large bowel movement. Um, And this is approximate too. And really, really depends on how much you're intaking. If you're not intaking much, or if you're taking in things that are already very digested and going to be mostly absorbed, like protein powders or, um, you know, ready to drink things, processed foods that don't have a lot of fiber, then you're not going to be excreting as much either. But that's Mm -hmm. general rule of thumb. And you want to feel like you fully void it. So you don't want to feel like stuff is still sitting there throughout the day or you feel heaviness or um, kind of like this bloating after you eat a meal. Yeah. So that's going to be size. 
color is the next one. And there's a, a variety of colors that are totally normal, especially if you're eating weird things. So if you eat, say you drank two liters of green juice, it's normal to have green poops if that's the case. Um, same with orange, especially for younger kids. If you eat a bunch of sweet potatoes or a bunch of carrots, orange poop is totally normal. Um, the ones that aren't necessarily normal, yellow poop usually can indicate that there could be fat in the stool, which means you're not digesting and absorbing your fat. So definitely okay. one to look into. Um, and then pale colored stools, not normal. When you see pale colored stools, it's because bilirubin is not in the stool. So it's something not being there. And that can be gallbladder issues. So you'd want to talk to your doctor about gallbladder stuff and get that looked at too. Um, black stools and red stools, not normal. So we want to look at blood in the stool if those come up. Um, I always mention this because there's a lot of biohackers that follow me and performance people. So if you're taking charcoal, that makes your stool black. So that would be a very normal explanation for having black stools. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done the charcoal thing. And, you know, I, I take a look at my poo as many former hockey players do because we're just gross people. Um, and I noticed that and then obviously when I had beet juice at one time, that kind of freaked me out. And then I realized, okay, I, I just had beets there. So you recommend people just taking a look at their poo? Yeah, no, you should know what your poop looks like. Um, you know, you want to know when it's off too. So you want to know standard, you don't have to get the microscope out. You don't need to send me all the pictures. Some people think you said, you don't need to send them all to me. Like if you're taking mine, one or two is good, but um, yeah, but you want to know what your poop looks like. Absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, you fully void, you know, hopefully, right? Uh, yeah. I like that word, fully void. I'm just going to go take a void. Uh, and then you clean yourself up and then you look in it or you got to like stand up and do a little spin. How does that work? No, oh, you know, that method is totally up to you. But <laughs> you could land in there. Um, and just make sure not nothing's nothing's totally off. Yeah, you you'll usually feel it too. So it's very infrequent that the look of the stool is just you know strange. Usually you can feel something going on too. Um, okay. The most important one though is the consistency of the stool. So this is number one. What I talk to people about. There's something called the Bristol stool chart, which is like the thing for people in the GI field to measure. Like, is this a normal stool? Is the person constipated? Do they have diarrhea? Um, and it's really important because we say, oh, I'm constipated. And what does that mean? Does it mean you have hard stools? Does it mean you don't feel like you're going? Does it mean um, you're not going? So there's so many different interpretations for that. But the Bristol stool chart helps to identify. And this is dependent on how quickly things move through your GI system. And so when you have those small little rabbit pellets, I call them, mm -hmm. um, hard little pellets, those happen because your GI system is moving a lot slower than it should be, which we call constipation. And what happens when it moves slower is that excess water gets absorbed over the intestinal wall and you're left with dehydrated hard stools. And so it's a result of something versus the cause of something. But what it means is that you have a motility issue going on and we need to figure out why things are moving, moving so slowly. And there's a few reasons that can happen. On the flip side, if you're having very loose stools or watery stools, things are moving really quickly through the intestinal tract. So not enough water is getting absorbed and you're left with watery stools or diarrhea. So those are very, very important to look at and it tells us a lot about what's going on and then we can go in and test and treat and make them feel better. 
Okay. So I, mean, I know a lot of people, especially uh, in the fitness world, they, they have tons of protein powders and things with different sugar alcohols that, you know, sometimes they're, they're adding, you know, extra fiber to things you know, that that's pushing it out more. Is, is that something that they need to be concerned about if they're just having a lot of this excess fiber? And then obviously the stools are going to be a little bit more loose. Yeah, so you don't want loose stools for a prolonged period of time because you're going to likely have irritation around the anal sphincter. So that's right. not never fun for anybody. Um, but you also want to make sure that you know why you're having loose stools. So I would not recommend going a long period of time with loose stools. There's ways that you can do it really healthfully if you're increasing protein that you don't need to have loose stools. Um, and so sometimes, you know, eating a lot of fiber can cause that, but there's different fiber sources that should be able to actually bulk the stool so that it stays together and you're having formed bowel movements. Okay. What would your suggestion be for people like that? Because I, I know quite a few people that have that. Um, and then I do want to get into obviously if your poop is supposed to smell or not, because that's a big one, but for, for people that are, are having that, because a lot of these, especially the plant-based ones, they're adding, you know, different things to them to make them taste better. And I know a lot of individuals are voiding quite frequently in the softer. Yeah. Yeah. And so first I would eliminate any sugar alcohols that are in those products, which is the most common thing that probably is causing not even, not only loose stools, but also bloating and gas. They can mm -hmm. So if you're eating a lot of things, like especially protein bars, and then you're also doing shakes and you're really trying to up it, and if they're all from a source that has sugar al alcohols, like erythritol or something like that, then those can definitely contribute. And so I would take those out and just get really clean sources where you're having collagen or whey protein and there's no added sugar alcohols. That's the easiest place to start. Um, psyllium seed powder is going to be a fiber source that's going to help bulk. It won't speed things up necessarily. Um, so consider adding that versus a husk, maybe a psyllium husk. Um, so, but figure out like, it really depends on what you're consuming that's causing it because it's going to be different for different people. Some people, they could consume whey protein and it actually causes diarrhea because they're sensitive to the whey in it. Right. Um, so look at everything and figure out what it is that's actually causing the loose stools in the first place. And then you can find a replacement for that. Okay. That's fair. What about, should your poop smell? Yes. Poop should smell. This is the human experience again. Um, there is something with if you have rancid smelling stools. So say you know basically what your stool smells like on average, and then one day it is incredibly rancid, and that continues on, um, can indicate an infection because when you have an infection, those infectious cells or bacterial cells will smell differently. So mm. definitely notice, especially if there's diarrhea associated with it, if there is a rancid smell, then go get that checked out. Yeah, because you had some sort of poop quiz that I did on there, and I was pretty good. I, I was almost at, I think, the lower the number, the better. I think I was like at two on one of them, so it was good. Uh, but what are the most common infections? When you, you mentioned that, I know obviously you need to get things checked out and, and, and go to someone such as yourself, but uh, what are the, the common things that you see that people have, like loose stool or those infections that are caused from? Yeah, so there's a lot of infections that can cause loose stools. Giardia is a common one. Um, even in developed countries, especially if you're a camper or you live by a mountain town where there's runoff from the mountains that go into the reservoir. Um, so Giardia is one of the bigger ones. Um, depends on where you live. So Cyclospora is one native to California that you'll see frequently. Um, and then you have things like H. pylori, which is a very common infection. It's more in the upper GI versus the lower GI. 
Um, C. diff is not as common, but very severe infection that can cause loose stools. Um, so it depends on where you live, hmm. what's common there. Um, but you, you know, definitely if you're a camper, if you're a through hiker, Giardia is going to be a big one that affects a lot of people. Okay. And, and that's just from just being out in, in nature or swimming in ponds or different things? Yeah. Consuming, usually it's drinking water that's been contaminated. Um, you'll do that. You'll see that, but you could have consumed it indirectly if you're drinking out of a glass that was contaminated or something like that. Yeah. I, know, I remember years ago, I went to Mexico and I was like, we, we were at a five-star resort, but I'm pretty sure the fruit that they had, they were probably washing in that water. And I was going to the bathroom once or twice an hour. Is is there anything that people need to be worried about if if they get obviously some sort of infection when they're is particularly going you know overseas or you know out of their their area where they they get you know diarrhea that bad? Yeah, and so that's traveler's diarrhea, gastroenteritis um, is really common when you're traveling and more common in specific areas like Mexico. And so a lot of the time it's going to pass on its own. Sometimes you'll need antibiotics if it doesn't pass on its own, so you may need to seek treatment. Um, and there's a concern, which I never like to like tell people there, there is, but there is a condition called post-infectious IBS. So about one in nine people who get traveler's diarrhea will go on to develop something called post-infectious irritable bowel syndrome, mm. which means that they didn't have IBS and then they got an infection and now they have IBS which could look like mixed um, diarrhea constipation or just diarrhea that continues even though the infection is gone. Um, there's still things that you can do for that. So, but that's definitely a, a concern. Okay. So if somebody w was to go, you know, they, they say they you know, went to Mexico and, and they had that and it's still lagging after a little bit of time, what's the course of action? Just go see your doctor? Go see your doctor. Um, they prescribe antibiotics like rifaximin if they need to, if it's been too long. Um, and then you can, you know, get that taken care of. And that's definitely recommended because you don't want to go too long with traveler's diarrhea. And it's no fun. It ruins your vacation. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of shitty. Yeah. I've stayed away from the puns. I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure you get them. So we're... we're we were 15 minutes in and that's the first one it hit. So that's not bad. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, what I was going to mention though, is that what your doctor may not mention is if you go on something like an antibiotic, then make sure you're taking a probiotic too. Mm -hmm. So gastroenteritis can cause a toll on the GI system and then antibiotics in general, you want to replenish and you want to find an antibiotic that's more specific to your condition. So there's one Specifically, Traveler's Diarrhea, Jaro's EPS formula is one that I commonly recommend or a Saccharomyces boulardii strain. Okay. So do you think people, everybody should be taking in a probiotic or is it a case-by-case -case basis? Case-by-case. Case. Um, this is a really common question that I get and maybe I'll change my mind in the future. But right now, I see no need for everybody to be on a probiotic. Mm. Um, I don't think it's there for general health. And um, I think that if you have a specific condition, you should use a specific probiotic. Just like you, the key to your door is different than the key to my home door. So you would Hopefully, never- Hopefully, because that'd be scary. That's, 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 <laughs> um, so you, you want it to be that specific though. So mm. if you have something that's going on, then you want to know exactly which key is going to unlock it. And probiotics are just as different as medications. You would never switch your medications for different conditions. Same thing with probiotics. You want to be really targeted with them. So working with a practitioner who knows 
you know, which strains have been found in the research to be effective for the condition. Okay, that's fair. Uh, let's talk about the, the how important the gut is for our brain, because even in your course, you're talking about how we're not even really humans and we have 90, 90% cells that uh, are, are from a different form, which it's kind of it blows your mind when you think about it. But how important is, is the gut and the brain and, and vice versa? I mean, a lot of people still don't know that there's a communication that's happening uh, back and forth. Yeah, yeah. And the stat that I love on this is if you look at all of our microbes and how much DNA they code for, and then you look at how much DNA we have in our human cells, and you put that all together and you say, okay, this is our cumulative DNA between us and our microbes, it would be 1% human, 99% microbial. And so that's what I say when I say, like, we're not really human, but that's getting pretty <laughs> esoteric. Um, <laughs> we can go with it. It's good. We can go with it. We can go with it. Um, and so, yeah, these guys, these little bugs play a huge role in our health. And it's not just our gut health because we also have skin microbes. We have microbes in our nasal pharynx. We have microbes in our ears, uterus. Um, we know that the amniotic sac now when women are pregnant is not sterile. And so these, these microbes play a really influential role and they, they create something called symbiosis with us, which means that we give them a place to live and they give us health advantages and they produce products for us. Um, so I tell people, think about your microbiome like a city. And in that city, you have a bunch of different buildings. Those buildings are the microbes, the viruses, or the fungi, and all of those buildings produce different products. Um, so some of them produce anti-inflammatory compounds. Sometimes they produce neuropeptides, which can influence our mood. Um, some of them produce chemicals that will travel to the liver and influence our metabolism and glucose regulation. And so these microbes are really influential, not just in our gut health, but our metabolism, our brain health, inflammatory levels are definitely our immune system. Um, and so that's one way that we communicate with these bugs is the products that they produce and how those products talk to our human cells. The other way that the gut and the brain communicate is directly through the vagus nerve. And so the vagus nerve is the nerve that innervates pretty much the whole GI tract from the mouth to the lower part of the colon. And we can send messages back and forth through that vagus nerve. And those messages can talk about motility, but also we think can talk about mood and other things. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of different ways, but the gut and the brain are so intimately connected that we have to start treating gut conditions also as mental health conditions. When I'm talking about functional GI issues like IBS or, you know, people that have occasional like dyspepsia, upset stomach. Um, so I'm always talking to people about anxiety, depression, trauma, like what is it that that gut and the brain are no longer talking to each other really smoothly? Yeah, so you, you notice, and, and there's you know, lots of studies on this, that people that have some sort of anxiety or depression, and I, I suffered from depression myself, who often have a, a gut-brain uh, connection, right? Yeah, and so um, everybody has a di different canary in the coal mine which means that somebody with anxiety may present with um, fibromyalgia or really tense muscles because they're constantly holding their body. Somebody else with anxiety may present with IBS because they're holding tension in their gut. Mm -hmm. um, somebody might present with arthritis where they're 
holding tension in their joints. And so it depends on the person. We all have different predispositions, but in functional GI issues, which means that there's no organic pathology. If you look at it with a colonoscopy, your colon's normal, yet you have diarrhea. Um, so with those conditions, we really notice a big tie between mental health and the functional GI issues. Mm. So you, you mentioned the, the vagus nerve, and, and you had talked about how important it is to calm yourself down, especially before eating, because we're con we are consistently stressed, and you know, acute stress not a bad thing, right? And um, stress to muscle tissue, stress, you know, in, in other factors that helps us focus. There's all sorts of different things. But why do we need to calm ourselves down before we're actually starting to eat our food? Yeah, this is this one thing, um, especially from the course, there's people that watch the course and they said, I watched your video on mindful eating and I cured my 20 year IBS. That was an actual note that I got from somebody. I'm not making that up. Wow. Um, and so mindful eating was probably the most impactful lecture of that course for a lot of people. And it's because we're not doing it. And it's the simplest thing that you can start to implement. Um, the reason behind why we need to be calm and relaxed and in a state of parasympathetic tone, I would say, mm -hmm. is because our GI system is innervated by that vagus nerve. And that vagus nerve is part of your parasympathetic nervous system. And so parasympathetic means it has the nickname of the rest and digest nervous system for a very important reason because it's responsible for the motility, meaning the movement of most of your GI tract, also the secretion of stomach acid, enzymes, how we break down our food. And so if you're in a state of fight or flight, survival mode, which is sympathetic dominance, then your GI system gets shut off. And all of that energy is diverted to your muscles, so your legs, your arms, your heart to increase your heart rate, your respiratory rate, because it's preparing you to fight, flight, or freeze, mm. and not to digest your food. And so if you're, if you're between meetings, if you're in traffic in LA or any other city, um, then you are not ready to receive a meal, and you will be much more likely to be bloated have reflux, dyspepsia, or some sort of um, indigestion after you eat because you weren't ready. Mm. Um, and that's a, that's a normal response. So people say, what's wrong with me? I have reflux. Well, were you ready to eat? Like that's a very normal response if you weren't ready to eat. And so what I tell people to do is don't eat your food until you're salivating. So if you don't have saliva built up in the mouth and like you're looking at your food and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so ready for this. Um, then you're not ready to consume your food. So you want to implement some of the mindful eating practices that we talked about in that course. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I even had, and pre even knowing why I was having people do this uh, years ago, like after done working out, people like try to chug a protein shake or all these exertainment classes, right? You bright lights and music and you burn 500 calories. Why don't you have a thousand calorie protein shake, you know, right after, right? I'm like, Take, take a few minutes, sit down, do some breathing and, and have your body calm down. And now that makes a ton more sense because more and more research comes out. But I'm sympathetic while you're working out and you need to go back into that rest and digest. And so even that $15, $20 smoothie that you're having, you're not going to absorb it you know, as well as you should because you're not taking that time, correct? Um, is there anything that people should do also besides mindful eating? Like, you know, not be stressed out or eating in a car. And I remember years ago when I first started training, I would have a bowl of cereal literally 
as I was driving, eating with straight milk, which I don't do really dairy anymore, um, as I was driving and I'm stressed out. And I, I, that literally brought me back to that when you, you talked about that point. But is there anything else that we could do to, to activate the vagus nerve before we're about to consume? Yeah. And so the, the biggest things are going to be look at your food. So it's, it's really simple. People are like, is it this easy? It is this easy. So you want to look at your food. You want to smell it. Um, if you're preparing it, like even cutting the vegetables will start to get you into that mode. Um, and, and really just be with your food before you consume it. You can think about eating it. That will help stimulate the process, preparing mm. your body for digestion. Um, and then I, I recommend people take a few deep breaths before they start eating if they're preoccupied with what just happened in their day. Right. And so you can do an easy four by four breath count, which means count four in, hold four at the top of the breath, count four out, hold four at the bottom of the breath. If you do that a few times while you're looking at your food and just kind of checking in with your body, then that's a great step. The other thing um, with the smoothie thing, like if you are having a smoothie after a workout, chew your smoothie. That's a really easy thing. And what that means is if it's liquid, you're, you're more apt to just drink it like a sure. drink, which is normal. If you chew it, that chewing actually does a couple of things. It tells your body that you're eating. So it helps get you into that parasympathetic state. And chewing also increases serotonin production which helps us feel more fulfilled and happy from our meals. That's why liquid meals aren't as satisfying typically, but you can pretend like it's solid and actually chew the smoothie. Okay. I'm going to try to chew a smoothie or maybe if people like next time I'm going to make a smoothie for myself. I'm going to, I eat like five or six pounds of blueberries a week. I have a problem with blueberries. It's delicious. Uh, maybe I won't blend them up as much. So I'm forced to chew a little bit. What about having in, for example, what if I was making a, a, a blueberry smoothie with protein and greens or whatever? What if I was able to have a couple blueberries prior to that? Does that increase the digestion process as opposed to having to chew my smoothie? Yeah. Yeah. You can have just some solid, meaning like you're chewing on some blueberries beforehand. Um, and then you're having your, your liquid drink. That's totally good. So some sort of get chewing in there somehow. Okay. Chew your smoothie. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, all right, let's get a little more granular. Uh, I know that this is a big thing. Um, leaky gut. Uh, what is that? And then also, um, I do want you to touch on a leaky brain because this is something I think that is less talked about as well. Yeah, sure. So leaky gut um, was called like a, a fictitious thing for a really long period of time. It was just in functional and naturopathic medicine, and now it's in the research. So as soon as it's in the research, people believe it. Um, but right. we've been talking about it for a while. And now the name in the research is intestinal permeability versus leaky gut. They're the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, what it means, though, is that you have little spaces in your gut. And so visually, if you think about the gut wall, it should be closely connected cells that touch and don't have any room for anything to go in or the wrong things to go in between. And um, what happens in leaky gut is there's inflammation for some reason which causes very, very, not this big, but very, very small gaps between your cells. And this, the gap between your cells allows for small food particles that normally should not get across the gut lining to pass through. So I'll give you an example of somebody that has leaky gut. They eat a piece of broccoli. 
broccoli pieces should never be able to get across the cell wall. But instead of just amino acids and, um, you know, very small sugars being able to cross over, now we have larger pieces of a food particle that are part passing through that wall because of the leaky gut. And now your immune system reacts to that because it says, whoa, this is a foreign invader. I've never seen this before because it's only used to seeing very small sugars and amino acids pass through. And so it reacts to that food particle and then you have an antibody against broccoli. And that's when people do food sensitivity testing. They may see things that come up as food sensitivities like broccoli IgG positive, um, which is the immunoglobulin. Now, what I always tell people is you can tell that broccoli is not the offender here. It's the intestinal permeability or the leaky gut that's the problem. So the answer is not to just get rid of broccoli from your diet forever, and then you'll do another test, and then you'll see sweet potatoes and chicken, and you'll see yep. a bunch of other things, because then you'll just keep going down that pathway. The issue is the intestinal permeability that you want to fix. And then you want to figure out where the inflammation is coming from. So you want to keep going upstream until you get to the answer of why did this happen in the first place? Because you don't want to be eliminating all these healthy foods from your diet for no reason. Yeah. And I think especially nowadays, I mean, it's when you talk about diet, it's almost like if you're a Republican or Democrat, or right? I mean, people just freak out, right? And um, like, now broccoli is bad for you and kale and spinach and everybody, it's just like, I've, I've never seen anybody that's been 300 something pounds that lives on spinach, kale and fruit and, you know, clean food. It just doesn't happen. Right. Um, but you know, we, we try just to have all of this information thrown at us and our attention span is just not there. So we read a headline and you're right. It could just be that permeability. So, uh, when you're, when you're talking about that and what's the course of action, eliminating a few foods and going from there is I know that you're a proponent of an elimination diet. Would that be one of the first things that you would do? Yeah. So usually when people come with me to me with gut issues, I do an elimination diet. Um, it's, it's different. It's a different conversation when they have the intestinal permeability per se, if like they can't tolerate broccoli, then mm -hmm. we may take broccoli out for one to three months while we're repairing the gut. And then, you know, we're going to put it back in. So we'll never keep it out for, for the rest of the person's life. That's just not necessary. Um, if, if we don't have a food sensitivity test and they just come to me with gut issues, then I'm doing a very specific gut elimination diet that I lead people through on that course. Um, but we take out certain foods for 30 days and then we reintroduce them and say, what can you handle? What can't you handle? And it's not that we're going to keep, let's say, eggs out of your diet for the rest of your life, but we may take them out for three months, fix everything up, and then put them back in and see how you do. Okay. What, what are the main foods that people have some sort of infl inflammatory reaction to that you generally take out of a diet? Yeah. And, and again, this is really specific for, for gut issues. Sure. We're doing the elimination diet in our practice for... Um, but we're taking out eggs, we're taking out coffee, we're taking out all protein bars, especially things that have things like chicory or FOS, any of the really high prebiotic fibers that can be exacerbating. Um, we're taking out wheat, gluten um, as well. We're actually taking out raw vegetables for the 30 days too. And again, raw vegetables are not bad for you, but if you have a gut issue, they can be making things harder for you to digest. 
um, taking out beans, legumes, and we're also going to be taking out sweeteners. So natural or artificial, we're going to take it out for the 30 days. Carbonated beverages are a huge one. We're taking those out for 30 days, um, as well as corn. I think I hit them all. Dairy, if I didn't say dairy already. But we're okay. taking all of those out for 30 days and then really methodically reintroducing them. We may do it longer if we need to, but usually it's the 30-day mark. We'll see a lot of improvements and go from there. Okay, uh, that makes sense. And, and what's the difference between leaky gut and leaky brain? Yeah, so it's just the location. So leaky gut is in the gut. Leaky brain is now also in the research, but they're seeing a correlation between the two, which means that things are passing through the blood-brain barrier that shouldn't pass. And when we talk about the brain, we're not talking about large particles passing through the blood-brain barrier, which would be absurd and would lead to death. So instead, we're talking about inflammation that's in that blood-brain barrier that is letting more inflammatory molecules pass through, um, and then there's been a correlation with people that have leaky gut that are more likely to have leaky brain as well. And so you really want to look at inflammatory levels in the entire body when that happens, not just the gut. Um, and so you'll see that correlation with people that have, let's say, ulcerative colitis, which is a gut condition of inflammation, that are much more likely to have depression. And we know that in certain cases of depression, neuroinflammation is there, which is inflammation at the brain level. Mm -hmm. um, and so we want to look at systemic whole body inflammation in these cases and make sure that we're not missing something. It could definitely be caused by inflammation in the gut that's causing the inflammation, um, leaky brain per se. Okay. So, I mean, they're kind of going hand in hand as we're, we're coming to find out a, a lot with this. Now, uh, when you're doing that, is there anything specific and everybody wants to know about supplements, right? It's the easy way to just pop a pill. Uh, is there any specific supplements that you kind of go to for, you know, common um, issues, whether it's, you know, IBS or, or leaky gut or anything like that? Yeah. And it's, again, it's so condition specific and person yeah. specific, but you know, an example of intestinal permeability, there's things like vitamin A um, that can help with that. Zinc carnosine is another great one as well. Glutamine sometimes. Um, Herb-wise, there's marshmallow root, which I love. Any of your demulcents, aloe, sometimes can be really anti-inflammatory. Um, so like a whole aloe juice. Um, and then there's also a probiotic called Saccharomyces boulardii, which helps increase molecule secretory IgA and increasing that can help heal the gut lining as well. Um, so those are a few you'll also know with like gut conditions as well as the the brain um, leaky brain issue like curcumin is one of my favorite extracts from turmeric. Um, very anti-inflammatory for both the gut but also the entire body so that's one of my favorites. Ginger is like all-star gut herb. Uh, I talk about ginger all the time with my patients and it's because it has some of the same properties as curcumin from turmeric. Um, all the anti-inflammatory compounds that are in ginger are really helpful for the gut, but then you also have the effect of ginger, which is a prokinetic. So if you're prone to gas or constipation, ginger is like the best herb to put. You can put it in your food. I have people do teas with ginger juices. I'm a ginger fiend over here. Yeah. I actually like ginger in, in my, uh, first book, I did a thing um, called the renovation tea. And one of my, I put ginger in there and lemon. And it's just funny because 
you know, years ago when I wrote this and then going over your course, I'm like, oh, this makes a, a lot of sense on, on why I was helping people. And I have people go for walks, 10 minute walks after every single meal, whether they're eating one time a day, whether they're eating six times a day, it, that, that pro-connect factor. And then also, you know, similarities to, you know, metformin and bringing down blood sugar, um, everything else. Um, what, what is a coffee enema? And, and we can't just, you know, go grab uh, your local gas station coffee and put it up your butt, right? Absolutely not. No, you want to <laughs> you know your coffee for sure before you get into that relationship with it. Um, a coffee enema is just what you think it is. So it's in inserting coffee into the rectum. The thing with coffee enemas is they're not for everybody for sure. So certain conditions, inflammatory bowel disease specifically, you don't want to do them. Um, and then I also don't do them for detoxification, which has been talked about in natural medicine. I haven't seen any research that suggests that that's the case, but what I do use them for on, a, on occasion with patients is when they have chronic constipation. And so if the colon is very sluggish and moving slowly and people have suffered with constipation for a while, sometimes coffee can actually act as like an exercise for the colon, contracting the colon walls and almost tonifying it. Hmm. So I've seen in people that have really had a hard time with constipation, sometimes using coffee enemas for a period of time and then tapering off of them. You don't want to become reliant on them can help regain that tone to the colon. There's not a ton of research behind it, but I've used it with patients and I've used it with myself and I've seen improvements with people that have um, more so constipation predominant IBS. Definitely want the cleanest coffee out there and there's very specific coffee for coffee enemas. So talk to a provider like which brand you should use, how much you don't want to be super caffeinated after. So there's, there's a way to do it. Okay. So I mean, this is something that you're probably doing in the privacy of your own home, right? Or is there, or you're, are you doing this in your office? No, we are not administering it. So this is the comfort of your own home. There is a lot of cleaning around it. So um, a practitioner that's done it before and led people through it will be able to help you with all the logistics. Okay. Sounds <laughs> messy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. I, I got one more question for you. So, where do you feel like the the future of medicine is heading or where do you hope that it goes towards? Mm, I love this question. I definitely think the future of medicine is heading towards whole body holistic care. What I mean by that is that when we treat somebody's gut, we also want to be asking about their mental health. We want to be asking about their relationships, their community. We really want to treat the whole person. Now, last question for you. Where do you hope um, the future of medicine is heading? Yeah, I love this question, and I think we need to be asking it more. And for me, the answer is whole body, whole person approach to healthcare. So what this looks like is that if you go into a doctor and you have IBS or you have reflux or you have anxiety or depression or fatigue, we're not just focusing on that condition. Instead, we're focusing on the person's mental health, spiritual health. We're talking about their relationships, their community. These are all things that need to be discussed because they're part of the story. Hmm. I, I love that answer. Very good. Mm -hmm. It's like you thought about this before. I've definitely thought about it. It's a huge passion of mine. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dr. Mary Party, where, people, where can people find you? 
My company is Modern Med, so it's M-O-D-R-N-M-E-D.com. Um, we did a commune gut health course, so we'll give you guys the link to that for sure. And then Instagram is a great way to follow me for all the gut health um, questions or posts that you want to see. And my handle is at dr.maryparty. Amazing. I'm Joey Thurman. This was another episode of the Fad or Future podcast. Remember, don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y be a part of the future. Cheers. Well, that was a fun one. I mean, anytime I can talk about farting and pooping on a podcast, my day is done. Thanks, Dr. Mary, for coming on. And thank you for being a part of the Fatter Future podcast. Please make sure to subscribe, share, and support the podcast wherever you can, whether that's on social media, subscribing, leaving a review, or just type in Fat or Future Podcasts on YouTube and we have broken down clips for you in case you are really short on your attention span and just want a five or six minute clip to answer certain questions. Thanks so much for Dr. Mary for coming on. Remember, don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y, be a part of the future. I will see you or you will hear me next week on the Fat or Future Podcast. Cheers, be well.